0: Welcome to Witch Talks, a series for spiritual seekers, witches, and enlightened souls. I'm Hannah the Suburban Witch, an intuitive tarot reader, astrologer, and eclectic witch, and I hope you're ready to get up close and personal with your favourite witches. In this episode, I'm chatting with Storm Fairy Wolf. He is an author, international magic teacher, warlock, and priest. He's one of the founding teachers of the Black Rose School of Witchcraft, which you can refer to episode 15 and 16 for more on that when we chatted with Devon. He's also the founder of the Blue Rose Lineage of the Fairy Tradition of Witchcraft. I am so looking forward to sharing his work and his wisdom with you today. He's joining us via Zoom all the way from California. Hey, Storm, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me. Thank you so much.
0: Very, very glad to have you here. And I wanted to start off by taking a squittery ditch at your birth chart. So having a little look there and sharing with everyone a bit about what makes you tick. So your moon sign, and I know you know a little bit about this as well, but your moon sign is in Gemini, which is the sign of the twins. Now, Geminis are known for being sociable lighthearted, chatty, fun to be around. Uh, But sometimes there can be another side as well to you. And the trick here is to make sure that your mind is basically constantly stimulated and you're feeling heard by the people that are around you so you don't turn to the dark side. (laughs) Gemini moons have a deep need for talking through their emotions. And when this need isn't met, it can bring out a more vindictive side to your character and that often I find with our moon signs as well becomes very apparent in our teenage years especially when emotions you know are up and down and hormones make them go wild. So having a journal, engaging in singing, music, writing uh works through helps you work through your strong emotions and they're all really great habits to get into or turn to if you don't have someone to chat with but knowing you you've got a house full of other witches to talk to hopefully have one on hand when you need it <laughs> how does that all sort of sound to you
1: um so far
0: so good yeah yeah
1: definitely i i i definitely have to um talk or write my way through um my emotions, you Mm -hmm. know, to figure out, you know, how, how do I actually feel about this? You know, I have to parse it out. So yeah, definitely. And I'm definitely, I'm definitely a talker, you know, so my mom would say that I started talking at six months and then never shut up. (laughs) So, um, yeah, so it's probably,
0: appropriate
1: that i found myself in the career that i do you know writing and talking so
0: it's <laughs> <laughs> fantastic words i find are a very big deal for those with displacement. placement so if you can find a way to express that healthily it's fantastic
1: yeah i love i love words and and um you know when i was a kid i always thought oh, i'll be an artist because i loved drawing and, and all that but there was something about when i got into writing you know and not necessarily writing stories that was never really my my strong point um but just being able to describe how I feel or my perspectives on things and that really kind of when I was in school that really clicked with me and I thought oh maybe I'm going to be a writer and here I am today that's like the main thing that I do I write and I talk so so far so good
0: (laughs) (laughs) and your latest book which I'm currently reading is about magical names which I mean as I said words are important Names are important. And I do find Gemini's particularly have a very good knack for naming things. So that's mm. like a little hidden talent that they often seem to have. So I think that just sums up perfectly, uh, I guess, the vibe of Gemini in your book, which is beautiful. Thank you. Now, for those who haven't read this book, though, uh, which is called The Witch's Name, and it is Crafting Identities of Magical Power. Can you, um, can you tell everyone what it is about, what's included in this book?
1: yeah, well, first I want to say what it's not. Um, it's it's not just a dictionary of names, you know um, that's kind of stuff is out there already and that's important. Um, but that's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to really talk about um, the magical name, the pagan name, the the witch's name, you know, as a type of spell that it is really about crafting our magical persona. you know And so the name that we choose, We have an opportunity to bring in elements, perhaps of things that we, um, to which we want to aspire, you know, or to reinforce certain strengths perhaps that we feel we do possess. And so we're going to draw that in, you know, to our chosen name because it helps us to step into a sense of ourself, but not just the self that we have haphazardly, you know, cultivated through, you know. Interactions with the world and what people think of us, and maybe what our parents, you know, decided for us, you know, at the time that they gave us our name. But we have an opportunity to use our craft to literally create ourselves. We are self creating. And I think that's so terribly important, you know, in terms of magic and the craft. If we can step into our own power and feel that power then everything that we touch is going to be informed, you know, by that power. So I wanted to create a book that wasn't just here are some names that you can choose from or even just here are some ideas for how you might go about, you know, choosing a name. But I wanted it to be a journey. I wanted it to have hands-on stuff. There's journal prompts, there's exercises, there's rituals for considering different aspects, you know, pulling in historical names, pulling in perhaps from mythology or from the natural world. And I also wanted to do this book because I know that there's been a lot of, um, I would say weirdness around my own um, public craft name. And, you know, I, I, I would get teased. I you know, I'd get kind of bullied on the internet, you know, for it. I would see people say, I can't take him seriously, you know, with a name like that. And that's all okay. What I'm saying is here's an opportunity to confront all of that. You know, if you think that my name is silly, that's fine. You don't have to have a name like like Storm Fairy Wolf. You know, it could be something totally different. But let's look at what your reactions are. Why are why do you have resistance to a quote unquote silly sounding name? You know, like mine. Um, what does that bring up for you? And I I feel that just in terms of the craft in general, I often say that it's probably time for us to make friends with silly, um, because if if we if we don't care about how we look to other people, that is such a freeing state of mind to be in. You know, it's like that saying dance, like nobody's watching, you know? So I kind of think of that. So that was all elements that kind of went into me choosing the name. And then I just felt it was time. You know, I think, I think the last straw was somebody on the internet said something snarky about my name. And I was like, haha, I'm going to turn that into a book, you know? So I kind of do try when, when people throw weird, like negative energy at me, I'm like, how can I shape this into something positive? You know, yeah. put it out there in terms of our project. Because what else are you going to do? You're just going to sit there and bitch on the internet about it, or are you going to try to do something good? So
0: that actually leans right into something that I wanted to touch on today. So I'm just going to talk about it right now. Which is nice. now I haven't finished the book yet, uh, as I was saying before we started. But because I'm taking my time with it, because I'm really, really enjoying it. And thank you for most books that I have to read for like book reviews and the ones that publishers send me like I read them. I love them. I review them. I take notes as I'm writing them, but this one, I'm, I've noticed I'm not even taking notes because I'm just sort of getting lost in your writing. It's very gripping. Like I just want to know more and keep reading. So that's fantastic. Thank
1: you. That's high praise. Thank you
0: very much. And I read a lot of books. So yeah, for when they grab me, like they just take my attention away from everything else. I get, I definitely get lost in books, which is great, but there is one exercise that I wanted to share with everyone. And it is exactly what you were talking about there. It's called elemental balancing. And what you've, you've done, it's, you've listed lots of exercises. They're all great. And I cannot wait to get into them. Uh, so for this, you have said to, you know, begin preparing your space, ground and center. Um, and in a previous exercise, you had mentioned to write down some things that you, maybe you like about yourself or don't like about yourself. It's not quite as black and white as that, but qualities like fear or worry or things like that, that you might have. And so you've said, to you know, bring up this list of items that we've already worked through in a meditative space. Um, And then something like fearful, you might wish to say a few words. So fearful, I'm afraid of being alone, of losing connection, a deeply sick queasiness in my stomach and uncomfortable tingling in my arms. That's your example, right? And this one, you recite it and imagine your voice is projecting all of that into a glass of water, right? So you're putting that maybe it's fear, anger. Maybe it's distracted. Whatever else is going on for you or in your body, you're pouring all of that purposefully into this glass of water. And then you have an incantation. By the air, my mind now clear. By the fire, my will now bright. By the water, my depth's now seen. By the earth, my form now strong. And you've lit a red candle, adding some salt and a clean quartz crystal to the water. And then, oh, and by the ether, my soul now soars. And here my poison is transformed. And so the whole idea is to transform these into you know, something better. You've said, imagine all the negative energies you've placed in the water are being transformed by the elemental principles. You know, In your mind's eye, you see the air blowing clear through the water. So it, this is just a very brief overview of this exercise. But I just sat there and went, what a powerful, powerful, powerful exercise. And you could use that in many different ways as well. But I thought that idea of transforming it rather than when I first read it, I thought you were going to pour the water outside on the ground or something like that. Mm-hmm. But instead, you're ingesting it and it's transformed. It's that alchemical transformation that is such a powerful thing to have in the craft. So that's the sort of stuff that's in this book rather than a dictionary of names. It is, you know, getting to the core part of you and what, what your values are and what you want to project into the world. And it's just it's fantastic. I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm gushing. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Thank you, thank you very much. Yeah, that that particular um, style, I guess, of, of magical working um, stems heavily from my work in the fairy tradition. Um, there is a particular exercise um, that I call the Waters of Purity, and um, most fairy people would refer to it by a Hawaiian name, Kala, um, in which we would just charge a glass of water with life force or maybe the idea, you know, of of our purification. And then we would drink it, kind of taking that energy in. And the way I was taught was originally you put your, your negative qualities in there first, and then we worked to transform them with the idea that in fairy, we practice what we might call a good energy ecology, you know, that nothing is ever wasted. And like you mentioned in a lot of, um, I don't know, like public spells, you know, that deal with like cleansing and purification, Um really are types of banishings, you know, where, oh, I have this bad habit. I've got this anger and we put this anger into a rock and I'm going to throw it, you know, throw the rock into the ocean or, you know, something like that. And that can be powerful. But there's also in this the recognition that, well, even if it's anger or even if it's fear, it's actually still my own power. It's it's my life force. And so I don't want to give that up. Mm -hmm. What I want to do is I want to heal it. You know, So we want to transform it. We want, do want to use, like you said, that alchemical transformative process because, um, you know, witches, we love power, you know, and that doesn't mean we want to like dominate other people necessarily, but like power from within, you know, we want our personal power. We want to be able to live our lives and be effective and potent in our decisions. And we don't do that by giving our power away, even like by banishing my fear what am I really doing? You know, it's kind of, to me, it's kind of like, Oh, I have an infection in my finger. So I'm going to cut off my finger. Well, no, I need, maybe I need antibiotics. I need to heal the infection. I don't want to get rid of anything, you know, if, if I can avoid it, you know, so, so a lot of my work in fairy, obviously, you know, um, translates you know, into this book and informs, you know, what I do. Um, so I'm just doubly happy when people pick up on that and they're like, Oh, this is really cool. Um, So I have to give credit where credit's due, you know, that, that comes, I mean, I dressed it up in a different way, but that's, that's really straight out of fairy tradition in terms of like the, the good energy ecology. And I'd like to promote that idea to more witches that like, Hey, let's, let's stop banishing ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, if we don't like something about ourselves, we're not going to heal that by hating on it or denying it you know most often we just put that in our shadow and mm-hmm. then it's it's just there festering so now we need to shine light on it we need to heal it we need to transform it we need to own it and and only by owning it can we you know i don't want to say rise above it but but that gives the right idea you know yeah. that, we, it, that we're going to champion it you know it's
0: very empowering i think
1: yeah and i mean I, I think that's the point of all the craft really when you when you get down to it we're we're trying to be self empowered you know and then through hopefully being self-empowered hopefully we can then connect with others who are likewise self-empowered and we can make powerful communities and work towards global change and that's a lofty goal but i kind of think that magic is a pretty lofty enterprise so
0: yeah well that's definitely the dream absolutely <laughs> i've <laughs> i've definitely used this sort of idea before right where you know i might take my unicorn drink bottle and speak words into it that I want to bring into my body, whether that's, you know, words of healing or of love. I do the same with my kitchen witchery. So as I'm, you know, making a soup or a cup of tea, absolutely. I I might speak over it into what I want to bring in and, you know, with my breath, I'm changing the properties there and then drink it down. But I've just never considered the act of maybe I could speak if I'm unwell, speak the sickness into my cup of tea and then transform it into something that's going to heal that sickness. It's almost that like attracts like, but shifting it. I don't know. My brain's going all crazy creative places.
1: (laughs) Think about like when they make like, um, like an antidote to a poison, you know, you start with a little bit of the poison, right? So you make medicine from poison, you know? And so that that's kind of how I see it. It's like, we have this poison inside us, you know, kind of all the time, you know, we're picking up stuff from the world and whatever. And, with our own baggage, you know, interacts and maybe it's in our shadow now it's festering. So we have this poison. And so wouldn't it be great if we could just take some of that and then magically create the antidote, you know, and I mean, we're witches, you know, we should be able to do this, or at least we should have the mindset that we can, you know, I think that if we go into it thinking, oh, I could never do that. Well, then you're right. You know, you never will. But if you go into even if it's an artificially um an artificial sense of confidence um that can actually really help if you just switch into a mindset where yes i am confident i am powerful i can make this alchemical transformation then you are much more likely to be able to achieve that Mm. you know so i'm just hoping that people will take that and be able to to run with it
0: yeah see if you can visualize it before you do it i use that that advice with my own daughter she's like i can't do something i'm like i want you to say i can do it and you're going to say that five times and then we're going to picture doing it in our heads in our mind's eye and then we're going to try again and then she usually either does it or gets much closer and her confidence starts to skyrocket
1: so right 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 we're our own worst enemies you know yes. i can't we default to that you know mm-hmm. oh i can't when really probably it just means oh i'm hard or it's hard and um I don't know what I'm doing. And it's okay to say those things. It's okay to Mm -hmm. to admit that you don't know what you're doing, but that shouldn't necessarily stop us from trying. You know, we we have the ability to learn,
2: Mm -hmm. you know?
1: So, okay, you don't know how to do that, but there was a time that I didn't know how to boil water, you know, (laughs) and now I can, you know, Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to use my microwave at one point, and now I can, you know, there's always a point where to learn something can be daunting. But then once we do it, it's kind of like confronting fear, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, I remember being a little boy and, you know, the, the, mo- the closet monster, you know, was terrifying me. And my mom would make me get up out of bed and walk across the dark room to touch what invariably was like the raincoat that was hanging like on the thing. But then it didn't bother me anymore,
2: you know, because I was
1: terrifying. <laughs> fear. but it was terrifying. It was at the time. It was <laughs> like what? I was like five years old. Mm-hmm. But then then that worked it didn't terrify me anymore because I confronted it and now I saw it for what it really was. But when I was paralyzed in my bed,
0: going over
1: like, Oh, this is this horrible thing. And you know, whatever, it's just that fear paralyzes you and it's an illusion, Mm -hmm. you know? And now with fear, I want to also say sometimes fear is good. You know, I definitely am not on the new age train that like, Oh, all fear is bad. Fear is the opposite of love. Mm -hmm. B.S. Fear often keeps us safe. You know, it tells us about boundaries. It tells us when that something's important. You know, when our heart starts pumping, we know, hey, we better, we better pay attention. But that's also good. You know, those endorphins, the adrenaline can make us sharper, you know, in the moment. It's when fear paralyzes us that it becomes a problem. And it's not so much the fear, it's the relationship that we have to it. You know, so something like this, we can kind of frame, we can take control of our relationship with it.
0: Yeah. Or when the fear is disproportionate to what's actually happening, which I think sometimes that happens. We just get these fear responses that are, you know, the body is reacting to something that it's not really, you know, as bad as it seems like those panic things. I've had panic uh, panic attacks before. And it's that sort of a vibe where my body's reacting like something's happening, but nothing's happening. (laughs) So yeah, when it's disproportionate, that's when it can get really bad. But when it's there, when it's supposed to be, that's powerful. We need that. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: And we need to be able to discern it, obviously, you know? Mm-hmm. So I like that, that witch is saying, I think it may come out of the reclaiming tradition um, where there's fear, there's power.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: so I try to remind myself when I'm having those fear responses that really all fear is, it's like the imaginary little man, you know, waving a red flag, you know, saying, pay attention. You know, he's not saying do it. He's not saying don't do it he's saying, pay attention to the situation. This is important, Mm -hmm. you know, and when we still, the choice is ours, you know, we, we have to decide, you know, based on all the information that we have, but we should snap out of our paralysis and then like, look at it, you know, and recognize, okay, I'm experiencing fear. Now, what am I going to do with that? Because what is fear? You know, what is any emotion? It's energy running through our psyche. You know, so if we can kind of take a step back into that observational space, at least for me, I found that it kind of lessens that grip, you know, that fear can potentially have on you and, and, and cause you to, to be paralyzed.
0: Mm, definitely. Now, speaking of fear, one thing that I have noticed in social media, especially is this fear around if people have your, your real name, birthday age. What All of those sorts of details that it creates a, what you would term a tag lock in mm-hmm. the craft. You know, they can be targeted for potential hexes and baneful magic. Um, so I wanted to, to talk specifically about that, using names as a tag lock in magical workings. So what is to stop a magical name becoming a tag lock as well?
1: Well, I mean, anything really that's associated with you can, can be a tag lock. And, um, you know, so whether that is obviously like my public magical name, I'm sure, you know, people have done magic, you know, (laughs) on me using my name, getting a photo off the internet, you know, you know, what, what have you, and old school, you know, the old school witchery days, it was all about personal concerns, right? It was like, Oh, a lock of their hair or some nail clippings or, you know, or whatever. And, um, and all of that stuff is powerful in terms of, you know, tag locks, but if we're, you know, we're speaking to other magic users, you know, and I think that, you know, people who practice the craft, um, maybe this is too broad of a brush, but I often find there's a little streak of paranoia that runs through magic practitioners, because a lot of us do have a little bit, at least of that paranoia about like, oh is somebody going to, work the roots on me, or are they doing this, doing that? And so some people, I think take it to the nth degree and they're not gonna share anything about themselves. And these are the people online that like don't use their own photo. You never see a photo of them. They have, you know, a name that's obviously not what they would use, you know, in their normal day-to-day life. Um, Although Storm Fairy Wolf is the name that I use in my normal day-to-day life, but that's a whole other story. But I just think that we need to recognize that as witches, as warlocks, as magical practitioners, we need to keep up on our cleansing, you know, cleansing and warding. Mm -hmm. It's just like, that's what's for dinner. (laughs) You do that. It's like the chop wood, carry water sort of for witches. It's just like every day I'm doing my cleansing every day, maybe doing, you know, redoing some wards or like once a month I'm redoing wards, Um, especially if you're out there in the public. Um, I certainly learned this. Um, I would say the hard way, but I think like learning the hard way is often the best way because you I really learn those lessons. <laughs> I've had people throw curses at me multiple times. And in the beginning, I was like, oh, no, that's not real. You know, oh, I'm just making it up. I'm just being a drama queen or whatever. And then it would get proven, mm. you know, and I've had it verified, you know, on several occasions when this would happen. I would always go to get a, a reading from somebody else who, who doesn't know, you know, the situation. So I'm not going to get their own personal stuff, you know, wrapped up in it. Um, But it, what it it taught me is just to be clean, you know, to be on point, to, to keep doing my work. You know, I think a lot of magical practitioners, I would say probably maybe, especially those who come from established traditions, you know, that have lineaged um, initiatory systems. um, It's easy, I would think for us to get lazy, you know, because a lot of people, do kind of approach it. They're like, Oh, I got initiated and it's kind of like graduating or I got my degree and now I'm this witch on this warlock. And I've watched people then kind of just become lazy afterwards. Oh, I got my title, you know, and that's what it's about. And now they don't have to work anymore. And that's the opposite of the truth. You know, we even look at the word initiation and what does that mean? It means to begin, you know, so initiating is, is the beginning of your witchcraft career the rest of it was preamble and so now you have a responsibility to actually keep up on your work all the stuff that you were trained for led you up to this moment and so now now you got to put it into action and make it part of your life it isn't just something that we do once a month it isn't something that we just do once a week you know if you're going to be an effective magical practitioner then your entire life becomes your magical practice. Mm-hmm. And you're always looking for ways to infuse your mundane life with magic. And that's how I think you get around that. You know, so I don't mind, like you were talking about a little bit about my birth chart. I don't mind putting that stuff out there. You know, mm-hmm. um, if people want to look at my full chart, they can look at my full chart. What are they going to do? Are they going to then try to like curse me based on my astrology? Have fun with it. You know, um, I I I know what I'm doing. I got my wards and my spirits and 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 stuff that I don't talk about, you know, out Mm -hmm. there, you know, protecting me. Um, so I don't know. Maybe that's somebody's somebody's gonna hear this and they're gonna take it as a challenge. Okay, but just be careful. That's all I have to say about that.
0: (laughs) Not not my listeners. My listeners are beautiful.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure that's true. I'm sure that's true. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you know it, it. but having a little bit of the paranoia, I think, is healthy, mm-hmm. but only a little bit. <laughs> you know, I, you just want to be aware people could do some, you know, shady
0: stuff. I interrupt your listening pleasure to ask you if you're enjoying this podcast. I ask because this series is a labor of love. And if you like what you're hearing, consider signing up as a Patreon supporter to see its continued success. Not only will you receive exclusive access to my private Facebook group, but also monthly live readings and moon ritual worksheets. Head over to patreon.com forward slash suburban witchery to sign up now. And now back to the show. All right. Now I swear this is relevant also very niche. So apologies to any of my followers or listeners that are like, what do you want about? But I heard on the grapevine that you are a fellow Trekkie. Is this true?
1: Oh my goodness. Yes. I am such a Trekkie.
0: Yes, me too. (laughs)
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome.
0: Now have, have you watched, as as I said, this is relevant. Have you watched the series Picard? Oh yes. Star Trek Picard. Great. Okay. Oh yes. I've only I've only I'm late to the game. I've only just finished season one. I mean it came out like two years ago. So I'm a bit late. Oh
1: uh, so you haven't seen the new season yet?
0: No, well I've started, I'm halfway through episode one and then uh episode one of season two, and then my husband fell asleep. So we may have to watch that one again, but that's where we're up to. Uh, we've only just recently got the streaming service that it's on, so that's why. <laughs> now I do highly recommend it to any Star Trek fans out there. There are some very intriguing things in it. Now, firstly, in the first season, so whenever you watched it, try and remember back. um, But in episode three of season one, not only do they showcase a hypothetical Romulan form of cardomancy, uh, which from what I've figured out, it isn't based on any real divinatory system. I think it was created for the show, but I need it anyway. I know, totally. Um,
1: I want it so bad.
0: (laughs) 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 But they mention in that episode the Romulan true name, being a name that you only share with the one you love as it has power. So from, from your, I guess, research is the idea of having a true name, something that's replicated in any cultures or traditions here on earth.
1: I mean, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of that, you know, in, um, so you probably haven't gotten to that part of the book yet, but there, you know, and I'm not going to remember all the details, right. Because research in and then research out. (laughs) Um, but there is, the idea that the true name is really not so much a name as we understand it, you know, but we'll think of it maybe like a tone or an energetic vibration that would be the amalgamation of like your, your complete energy field. Right. So it's it's your energetic signature. And then we might give that a verbal name more like a symbolic container, you know, for that um, for that energetic um, reality. But there's a lot of cultures, you know, in which the the true name is highly guarded. You know, I think the most famous is from ancient Egypt, you know, where the goddess Isis is able to basically trick Ra into giving up his true name. And she does, I mean, and it's a trick. I mean, she is ambitious. You know, she becomes the most powerful of the Egyptian gods because she's able to get this from him. But Ra is the creator, right? And he was getting old and feeble, And from some of the spittle of his mouth that fell like under the dirt, Isis forms that into clay and forms it into a serpent. And she puts it on his path where where she knows that he's going to, to traverse and the serpent strikes him. And of course, it has his own divine power. And so he's dying of the venom. And so she knows how to reverse it, but she tells him that she'll do it if he gives her his true name. And he tries to give her some other names instead. And she's like, no, 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 that's not cutting it. You know, I need the true name. And he finally relents and gives her the true name, takes it out of his heart and gives it to her. And I think that that's like so important because it's the heart, the core, the core of our essence. So he gives up the core of his essence to her. And then she saves him and becomes the most powerful Mm -hmm. of the Egyptian gods. And, And you find this also, in other forms, less dramatic forms, um, in folklore. You know, I think everybody's probably familiar with the, the old tale of Rumpelstiltskin, mm-hmm. you know? And so that's another one of these naming, um, tales, you know, in fact, there's quite a lot of them. There, I forget what number it is, but it, like in the, in the classification of folklore, it has its own number. It's like, you know, the, the, the person you have to guess their name um, but it's still that idea that like, oh, if you have somebody's true name, that means that you have power over them. And so we're approaching the true name concept as another type of taglock, but a very potent one. I would say it's like the taglock to end all taglocks. You know, I know that in um, in Jewish culture, you know, there is this idea that if someone is is thought to be dying, You know, they're on their, maybe their deathbed. This last ditch effort would be a rabbi would come in and and officially change their name with the the idea being that, oh, the angel of death knows you by name. Mm. And so, but now they've changed their name. So now they can't find you, right? So even they're doing magic. And that shows up in a lot of different cultures. Too many for me to mention Mm. or even remember (laughs) quite honestly right now, but it shows up like everywhere, you know, to have somebody's name in some cultures, you never even say your name out loud. You know, somebody's you know, knock on the door, who's there? It's me. You'd say, you're not going to say your name because somebody might overhear it or a spirit might overhear it, you know, or you'd have nicknames, like a family will have a nickname, you know, for you, but they're not ever going to use your, your deep name. Sometimes only your mother knows, you know, what your deep name is. Even in the craft, we might have different names that we use at different times. Storm Fairy Wolf is my name that I use every day. It's also a magical name, but I also have other magical names that I use in different traditions. When I've been initiated, I've taken on names as is customary. I also have a name that I only use with the gods that no other humans know. And so, and that kind of is, that would be closer, I would suppose, to like the idea, you know, of the true name. Um, So yeah, that shows up in a lot of different places. And so I always think, well, we should pay attention to that. You know, if all these different cultures are saying, hey, this is important Maybe we should look at that and treat it as if it's important. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I I agree. There's there's often truth in all the myths. There is an underlying grain of truth that comes through with myths, legends, folklore, all of that. It's usually trying to show us something, teach us something, that sort of thing.
1: Even if it's just in the context of that culture at that time, that's possible in certain things. But when something shows up in multiple cultures at different times, I think we do need to at the very least pay attention to that and, and sit with it and see how does this actually play re- relevance mm. in, into my life today.
0: Yeah. Now, again, with Star Trek, so in episode seven of that same season, <laughs> Picard goes onto the Borg cube and meets a former Borg member. Um, which they're all they're all termed XBs so Xborgs. and Hugh who's one of these XBs tells Picard that a new name is a new step to a new identity because they've all changed them from former Borg they're called XBs right so how do you feel about that quote that a new name is a new step to a new identity
1: yeah I live it you know I um you you already read the introduction, you know, uh, of my book, The Witch's Name, and so that's where I detail how I came, you know, to my name. And I never felt that my birth name was mine. I never felt it was mine. I never really identified with it. It was my father's name mostly. It was my grandfather's name, you know, mostly. So I kind of felt like it was just it was this handed down thing. It was like getting an old pair of shoes, and I didn't have any say. Not that many people have a say in the name, right, that their parents give them, you know, right. But the fact that it wasn't even unique, you know, in, in, even in my immediate family, Mm. I think led to this idea that I was supposed to be just, I don't know, a carbon copy of the firstborn males, you know, in, in my family. And I'm certainly not that at all. Um, so I always felt like that wasn't my name and I was on a search for my name. Now my, I never talk about my, what my legal name was, my birth name rather. Um, because that's my dead name now. And, um, but I was at least fortunate that it had a lot of nicknames that would commonly go along with it. So I was able, you know, I was raised under one diminutive nickname. So it wasn't exactly what my father was called, but it was close. Um, And then later when I went to college, you know, I got to choose a different type of nickname from it to try to, you know, try on another persona but it wasn't really until I chose my craft name that I really felt like I was stepping into who I was meant to be, you know? And I do think that um, it, it's a, it's a tremendous amount of power that most people never even consider because it's just so ingrained in our culture that, Oh, that's your name. That's what your parents gave you. And that's your true name. That's your real name. People will still ask me, what's your real name? Well, Storm Fairy Wolf is my real name. Is it my legal name? No. Although there's elements of that in my legal name. Um, But no, your legal name is not your real name. Your real name is what you identify with. I think it's less important what people call you and it's more important what you respond to.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love that. And in regards to the, I I mean, I am a parent. I have given names to my children. It's it's very difficult. It's not a fun experience at all. But with my son, I actually uh, used my craft in that right because I had I had a bit of trouble with it, and I went into meditation whilst pregnant and asked him what. Oh, I didn't know it was a him actually. I asked them what they wanted their name to be, and so I didn't know the gender of my child or anything. I felt like it was a boy, uh, but I got a name, and mm-hmm. uh, his name's Tobias. And so I got that name, and I thought, oh, hmm, I like that. It's actually in our family. So like a a great, great uncle has that as their name. And it's a few middle names on on my Dutch side. So I thought, oh, that's cool. And then a few weeks later, like I hadn't told anyone except for my husband. And so I said, this is what I'm thinking, but I'm pretty secretive around what I'm considering to name my child. And because it does, it has power. As soon as you speak it, everyone throws their opinions on it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. So I'm like, I'm not going to tell anyone, but I had a friend who is very intuitive, not that she really knows it. And she called me and she said, Hey, I had a dream about you last night. I dreamt that you had a boy and you named him Toby, but the full name you said Tobias. And I went, There's my validation. That's
1: I love like it.
0: Doubling up that it wasn't, you know, just me thinking up a random right. name that was actually coming through. The so- universe
1: is like, just in case you weren't paying attention, yeah. <laughs> let's
0: just make sure. exactly and i hadn't said it to anyone and you know it's not a super common name like it it's not unusual but it's not super common so it was it was great to get that sort of a validation but there is yeah there is power in it so i love that he's named himself basically
1: that's so cool
0: (laughs) it's really cool so we'll see how as he grows i mean he's only one but we'll see how as he grows he's got some time yeah to to grow
1: into it or to grow out of it but that's a cool name I will say, because it's it's not that common, but it's not like so uncommon that it's like foreign and weird and, you know, like people are going to judge it. Mm-hmm. I think that it's just uncommon enough to where it's like, oh, I'm going to pay attention.
0: Yeah. So that,
1: that's that's really And the fact that it's also in your family, you know, I, I think that that's was cool. also really cool. Being able to draw in some of that ancestral energy. Yeah, definitely. You know, if we're, again, looking at names as opportunities um, for energies, you know, to be woven into the here and now. Um, That's a beautiful way, I think, to honor um, the the ancestors. Um, But I love that you did the meditation while you were pregnant, that you got to ask your child. Yeah. You know, that—that that is beautiful. I love it. I love it.
0: I think I got some hints as well with my daughter. So uh, I was convinced I was having a boy because everyone told me I must be having a boy based on, you know, how I looked and my size and all of that. Oh, her, right. I love to comment on a pregnant lady's body, women's bodies in general. But anyway, so I was convinced we're having a boy and we'd kind of picked out a boy's name. And it was three weeks before I. We gave birth, and I had a dream that we gave birth to a girl, and we couldn't tell anyone that we'd had our baby because we didn't have a name. Because so I had zero girls' names picked, like I was that. Convinced. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I woke up and freaked out. I was like, oh, "I have no. We're gonna have a girl. We're having a girl. We have to get a girl's name." And my husband's like, "Nah, don't worry about it. Like, it's gonna be a boy." I'm like, no, 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 no. Change of change of plans. We need a girl's name. So I went through the top one thousand names and didn't like mm-hmm. any of them. And then I, I think I went on to Pinterest. Like I just went on this mad hunt for the name, right? And finally we, we did find one. And, again, it's it's unusual but not too, well, I don't think it's too, her name is Aurelia. Oh, and that's
1: beautiful.
0: Yeah, we thought super pretty, but we also wanted all the names to have like a little nickname so they can choose how they want to be seen. So her nickname is Ray. So uh, Aurelia or Ray. That. So it's almost like a little bit tomboyish as well. You know, it comes from a Marcus Aurelius. It's got this very strong and tradition behind it. And so for me, even just naming my children, there was a lot of like looking into it and making sure and all of that. We have a friend as well who's an actor and we asked him to act out the names in different ways. So he would yell it, he would, you know, say it nicely, say it meanly. He would just do all these little scenarios using the names so we could See how others may use it or perceive it. It was really helpful.
1: Yeah. Oh, I like that a lot. That's, <laughs> yeah. you know,
0: God, I wish I had heard that before I wrote the book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go. If you ever do a reprint, pop it in or something. <laughs> <laughs> there
1: we go. Now that's really awesome because, yeah, then you get to have kind of a real time exploration of the different emotions that can be attached to the name. Because I'm thinking too, also like, you know, that, that that stereotypical standard of like, oh, they're in trouble and now I'm going to use their full name, you know, first, middle, last, get your butt in here. You know, um, all of that is important, you know, as a writer and as a poet, um, I think that words and of course names, you know, are so important, how they sound, you know, how does it make you feel, you know, when you speak it aloud, you know, I think all of that is so important.
0: Mm, Cause there are definitely words, especially, I mean, especially in the English language, the words that I, you know, we use that I'm like, Oh, that's just the sound of that word. I dislike it. It's something about it. Um, <laughs> we all have words like that that we're just like, Oh, don't use that word.
1: <laughs> right. I, I want to, I'm going to cringe everybody out now because the word that I mostly hear from people that they don't like, is moist oh yeah i knew you were gonna say moist <laughs> people hate that word and it's so funny i don't mind it because honestly it makes me think of cake <laughs> and i'm like and i love cake so depends on your so association i, like I think <laughs> exactly but everybody seems to hate it right and so but it's just the sound of it you know mm-hmm. and and that can be based on a lot of different things obviously we have our own baggage mm-hmm. you know who used that word around you. You heard it in a weird way. It's always going to bring up this particular thing that happened when you were six or, you know, whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's just how we are, you know, so one word, one name, you know, they're not created equal in everyone's ears, you know, it's like one name that can be beautiful to somebody, to somebody else is going to be like, Oh, I can't stand that, you know, and that's just the way it is. That's that's life. But, um, But it's good to test that out, I think beforehand. And, and then I think in the case of like choosing your own name, Um, I I think one of the exercises in there involves like looking in the mirror and then speaking that name aloud and saying, I am, you know, so I'd look in the mirror, I am storm fairy wolf. And then how do you feel Mm -hmm. when you say that? And maybe at first you feel silly. And again, that's okay. We want to make friends with silly. Right. Um, But then when we move through silly, then we start getting somewhere, Mm -hmm. you know, so um, then how do you feel? I feel powerful. You know, when I, when I say my name, I feel free you know um so and that's how people should feel you know or some variant on that if if you never get past the silly well then maybe you need to scale it back and try something different
0: (laughs) well i i found the same even uh choosing to call myself hannah the suburban witch and adding that in there and i found like whilst i didn't do that mirror trick because I, I make my YouTube videos and every single one I would open with, hello, hello, Hannah the Suburban Witch here. And then I'm editing it and I'm re-watching it and I'm checking it. So I saw myself saying Hannah the Suburban Witch, Hannah the Suburban Witch, over and over and over. And it just ingrained that like persona more so into me. And I think there was power in almost just choosing that part of my name for my my business and how I present myself out there publicly as well. Mm-hmm even though it's not my it's not my legal full name right but i get mail that says to hannah the suburban witch and right 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 you know it has it there is power in that as well even though it's not my 24 7 name
1: that several years ago there was a big thing on facebook you know where they wanted you to use your legal name only yes. your legal name yes i remember and, and so they forced me for a while to go by my legal name mm. and i was obviously complaining because i'm like well but i write. And teach under this other name, and I'm I'm not trying to hide, you know, from the government or you know whatever, um, but I just don't need that out there, and it you know it, it I don't know dilutes the brand, you know, yeah. and, and it and had other the, people, had the
0: trans community a lot. I was gonna say yeah, I mean mm. for
1: other people it was uh, issues of safety, yeah, you know, and and, and just self esteem, and um, they made me jump through hoops, mm. but I was able to do it. You know we're we're actually a little wondering about what's going to happen now with Twitter. On that level, because, of course, as we know, you know, um, Elon Musk has now bought Twitter and he said he wants to authenticate all humans on Twitter. So what does that mean? You know, we don't exactly. know <laughs> So, yeah, I don't know. I don't think free speech is going to extend itself to people um, using pseudonyms, you know, mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. But we'll we'll see. Fingers crossed. Um, because, again, a legal name is not necessarily your real name. Mm-hmm. You know, a legal name can just be that albatross around your neck. You haven't been able to get it legally changed. Somebody's real name is not synonymous with their legal name. And nobody's really entitled to your legal name. You know, people think that, you know, they want to know my name. I know that, um, I just posted something a few days ago about on Google. If you Google Storm Fairy Wolf, you know, Google will give you suggestions, you know, and one, based on what pe- other people are searching for. And one of the things that comes up is Storm Fairy Wolf, real name. So people are trying to figure out my real name. So my thing is, well, you already found it out. Storm Fairy Wolf is my real name. Mm -hmm. Did you mean my legal name? Yeah, I'm not sharing that with you, you know, but um, because it's nobody's business. That's just for telemarketers and bill collectors. Nobody else else needs that info. You'll find me just fine without it.
0: Yeah. It's funny the change in changing names these days. Like I, when I got married, I changed my last name. And it was not easy, and I can't remember if I had to pay a fee, but it was definitely a million and one hoops to go through with the bank and driver's license yeah. and passport and all of those things. It was a bit of a headache, and I would not repeat that again willingly. But then yeah, my my grandmother, my late grandmother, she, I remember once I went with with her to the doctors and they were calling her Anne. I was like, "That's not your name." Why are they calling you Anne? She said, Oh, that's what it says on my Medicare card, which is like our health card over here. I said, But that's not your why is that on there? That's not your legal name at all. It's a totally different name. She said, Oh, well, when we got here, no one could understand my Dutch name. So I just told them it was Anne. <laughs> and it's it's on all these things. And my grandfather's the same. Both of them, all of their legal documents are not their legal name, which is like the opposite. It's it's right. But I mean, that was 50, 40, 50 years ago. Sixty, yeah. oh, sixty years ago. I
1: lost. Well, there's also that thing too. I don't know if this played a role, but you know, obviously, she said it was difficult for people to understand her her Dutch mm-hmm. name. Um, but that happens so often where people wanted to Americanize their names also so they wouldn't stand out. Mm. You know, and I just think, I mean, obviously, if that's what people want to do, that's for them to decide. And you know, everyone should have their own agency. I just think that so much is potentially lost. Yeah. You know, when that drive towards homogenization,
0: or you know, ease, comes in ease for other
1: people, not so much. for other people. Exactly. It's like, you know what? Other people should have to learn. Yeah. I mean, I understand why, you know, it's kind of, kind of greasing the wheels, you know, let's make things easier, you, you know, whatnot, mm-hmm. but, um, and it was a different time, you yeah. know, then I'd, l- I'd like to hope that less people would do that now, that more people would be able to take pride mm. in their cultural heritage and in their name, you know, mm-hmm. unless she didn't like her name. And, the, and this could be an opportunity to, again, to change it, right? Mm-hmm. But it should be our decision that we make because it empowers us, mm-hmm. because it it enables us to, to, to live more proudly, you know, to, to be more centered, you know, in our own life and experience. Anything else is just trying to cater to other people. So many pagan festivals I've gone to. Where people are like oh it doesn't matter what you call me no it matters mm-hmm. it absolutely matters because let me tell you it matters what you call me
0: um, now one thing I want to ask is especially because your name is Storm so and I hope you don't take offense to this but we have a cat <laughs> named River and mm-hmm. I've all I've always thought if I got another cat I would like to name them Storm because I thought that was really cute like River and Storm kind of like that what well, a good name yeah so, right? <laughs> and then. And then I kind of thought, well, if I call them storm, are they just going to be like this wild cat? Like, do you think that the meanings around, like, when I think of a storm, I think of it quite powerful and wild. Do you Mm -hmm. think when you took that name on, does that change an aspect of you or how you present yourself?
1: Yes. Um, Easy answer. Yes. Um, The longer answer. um, There's a lot of nuance You know, to that as well in my particular vision, because, of course, for me, the storm, you know, my name Storm Fairy Wolf is a three part name. And each of those three parts um, came from some type of visionary experience. And the storm, I had a dream where there was a tornado and there's lightning and all this stuff. And, you know, I was out in this field and the tornado was coming and I had this magic ring. And the, the, the magic ring actually came from dreams I had as a little boy. I used to have this recurring dream where I had this magic dream and I, or the magic ring and I was always trying to figure out how to make it work. And that was kind of the theme. Like I would have this dream, could never make it work, you know, whatever. And then I'd have the dream again, still couldn't make it work, you know, for years. And I hadn't had the dream in many, many years. And then suddenly here I was again as an adult. And in the dream, the tornado comes and picks me up because I'm not able to get this ring to work ever. And um, I'm terrified. And I think I, that's it. I'm going to die, you know? And I mean, I'm brought up into the sky. I'm tossed around like a rag doll. And I finally just let go. I was like, okay, that's it. I'm dead. And I like I stopped struggling. And in that moment in the dream, all the wind and the rain and the hail and the lightning all felt like it just like went into me. And then I was just let gently down on the ground. And then I woke up and I felt very buzzy. And that's when I was like, okay, that's, that's storm. I have that within me, you know, it doesn't rule me. I have that potential. And so my relationship to it is that I try to be in the calm inside the storm. I try to be in that central space, but I do have access, you know, to that power. My rising sign is Aries. And so I kind of feel like it caps in with that as well there's that fiery kind of maybe lightning you know kind of striking power that when i've needed it i feel like i can call on that but that's not something i do indiscriminately
2: mm-hmm. you know
1: i want to live just in that calm that center space um and that is a part of my daily practice I would say is trying to remind myself to be inside that that calm center, as opposed to being in the chaos, yeah. you know, that's all around me. And I think it's a good meditative exercise, you know, because we always have all that chaos swirling around us in the world. We all should try to be in that center, so that we are um, as unswayed, I suppose, by the chaos as we can be, um, so that we can respond mindfully instead of mindlessly react. Um, but it's also a reminder that that's there, that potential is there. So watch it, watch mm-hmm. the storm, you know, you got to make sure that you're not lashing out, you know? So yeah, I, I, I have some anger. I can do that. My, my Aries rising can flare yeah. up.
0: <laughs> I'm sure you have no trouble hitting the challenge head on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so lastly, you have another book coming out soon from when we're recording this. By the time it comes out, it will be out in the world, and it's called The Satyr's Kiss. Can you tell yes. us what this one will be about?
1: Yeah, so this one is specifically um, focused on queer men, um, and it is a way of create what, in my view, it's um, an appeal towards the creation of a queer craft that centres the queer male experience in our own practice and something that also incorporates sex magic into our practice and this was actually the first book that i ever wanted to write when i was 14 and actually formally dedicated myself you know to the craft mm-hmm. this is the book i wanted to do because i felt strongly that um that sexual energy was so potent and that it was so wrapped up in the history of witchcraft.
0: Well, it sounds like a book that's definitely needed. I've, I've chatted with Casey Giovinco before on the podcast as well, and we, we did talk a lot about how there is a need for, I guess, the, the gay face of the God and how that all entails and taking away that, I guess, the heteronormative um, rituals that can be within witchcraft and yeah. finding a space that, that exists for you as well. Yeah, that's,
1: you know, because I did, you know, growing up in the craft, I mean, that sounds kind of lofty. Um, I just mean that I had a lot of books, you know, um, growing up, um, growing up in the 70s, you know, things like, you know, psychicism, you know, ESP, telepathy, and then witchcraft, they were, they were popular, you know, and they're popular again today. And, um, but there was always that heteronormative thing. If you look at, at Wicca, you know, it is a very heteronormative practice and I'm not getting down on it because at least at least you 90 know, percent of the world will say is like heterosexual or, you know, um, you know, we are a minority. And um, but we were always expected to fit into we're basically asked to be like a square peg in a round hole, you know, and we were always told, oh, you just have to you know, play the part you know, okay, so you're a man, so you, your working partner must be a woman. You know, there was a lot of that, oh, the initiations must be cross-gender, right? I'm, I'm wondering how that's going to happen today with more of a realization that gender is not binary. Mm-hmm. What does that actually mean, cross-gender? You know, luckily in fairy tradition, that's not a thing. You know, gender never plays a role in anything that we do, you know, in, in fairy. And so I feel like I, I found the right place. And so this book definitely has practices. You know, there are exercises for sex magic, for individuals, um, for couples, but also for groups. You know, um, I, I'm also out there trying to promote the idea that, hey, polyamorous relationships are real and they're just as valid. You know, I'm in a polyamorous relationship. I have three partners and um, we call ourselves house four locks you know, as a collective. I love and, that. Um, thank you. Yeah, I think that was, um, I think that was Matt. Matt Oren, you know, came <laughs> up with that. It all started on, on our iPhones, our little, when we text each other, our collective name, and it just stuck. Um, but yeah, there wasn't really stuff out there. And so I wanted to put out at least the idea, here's how we could create a queer craft. Um, but it doesn't insist on sexual practice, you know, it gives the option for, um, and then in most of the cases I will give, um, like a non-sexual version, you know, of, of this exercise or this ritual. Um, I, I call the, the, the sex rights will, are, I call them red rights. And then the, the non-sexual ones I call blue.
2: Mm-hmm. And that
1: comes out of um, some lore and fairy tradition. Um, but I try to give different versions because not everybody is going to want to incorporate sexuality into, into their, Craft and that also shouldn't be the be-all, end-all of what it means to be queer. Although it is the thing that is often used to attack and shame us,
2: mm. and so
1: I do think it's important to embrace our sexuality and and, and to move into a space of pride, yeah. you know, with our sexuality because it has been the thing that gets used against us. We're often told, "Oh, it's unnatural," which is the weirdest accusation ever because it's like basically, I mean, thousands of animals have been documented. To have homosexual behavior, um, you know, ancient cultures seemed to have little to no problem, mm-hmm. you know, with it. It's really <clears throat> Christianity and the monotheistic religions that have made it more of a problem. And even in their histories, it wasn't always a problem. You know, yeah. there's there's plenty of indications of same-sex marriages that were performed by the early Catholic Church. You know, for example. So I have different feast days and and remembrance days as a way that we as modern queer people can remember our queer ancestors, what I like to call the rainbow dead and make them a part of our craft. And I'm not saying that we have to abandon, you know, the other forms of witchcraft. I'm not saying, Oh, queer people. Now you can't do Gardnerian or now you can't do this. No, what I'm saying is here's an alternative. We can start where we are. We don't have to fit into somebody else's paradigm. We have our own, Mm -hmm. you know, we have our own mysteries and, we should be able to explore them. And so this book is really just an attempt at starting that work. And I'm hoping that other people will pick up on it and take it further than I ever could. And so I'd like to think that this is my, my humble contribution to that tapestry is hoping that we can then um, look at, at queer sex as something that can be holy, Mm -hmm. you know, um, as opposed to something that is just, you know, done in secret or polite society doesn't want to talk about it. You know, I think these are things we do need to talk about, you know, and, and I'd like to think the society is moving in the right direction. Some days are better than others, you know, um, but this is, this is how we get there, you know, by, by speaking our truth.
0: This is how it starts, right? A book like this, you know, 30, 40 years ago would have just been not possible, right? Whereas now it is possible. And so that indicates a, we've seen a lot of change in growth so far, but b, this opens the gate for more people to be inspired and to feel seen. And I think i'm like I'm pretty critical of books in terms of making sure that they are inclusive and that they are showcasing things in a the way that it should be you know like represented without that ugh, the heteronormative ideals or the womb centered magic, like that very turfy side of things that witchcraft can sometimes go into. And yeah. so I'm, I'm really happy to hear that you've got this book coming out and that it's sort of trying to include the people that are often not represented because I think that's necessary. So thank I'm, you.
1: Ho- I'm hoping that I was adequate, you know, <laughs> in doing so. And I'll, I, I guess I will learn that in a couple of weeks.
0: So if people do want to find you online, obviously Twitter is the best place, but where what's your website and what's your Twitter handle?
1: Yeah, so um on Twitter I'm Storm Fairywolf. Um on um Facebook and Instagram I'm Fairywolf. Um but you can find me um in all of those things from my website fairywolf.com. That's f a e r y w o l f.com. Um and then you could also find me at modernwitchuniversity.com that's our online school um, where we um have our our, our downloadable classes. I'm um, including our Black Rose Witchcraft course. And then you can also find me. I'm a columnist for The Wild Hunt. So go to wildhunt.org and you can find my writings there too.
0: Awesome. I will put all of those links in the show notes for this episode as well. Uh, now if you are listening, make sure to also follow us on the podcast specific Instagram page, which is Witch Talks Podcast. And if you leave a review to Apple Podcasts and send me a screenshot via DM or email to suburbanwitchery at gmail.com, you will receive a free chakra checkup from yours truly, just to incentivize you as reviews help a lot. If you do love the podcast, please also share with a friend or on social media. That would be amazing. Make sure to hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. And As always, I hope you all have a lovely day wherever you are in the world today. Thank you very much, Storm, for joining us today and thank you, everyone else, for listening.